This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary treks trek fm's dedicated books and comic show i am one of the hosts here matthew rushing and i'm very excited to be here today to be talking to you about some books and comics here for star trek that's right uh, and usually dan would be joining me but he is on a super secret spy Section 31 mission again, uh, and so he is away. But luckily, our other host, the one with the mostest, Bruce Gibson. Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be here. Um, I'm starting to worry about Dan being on these secret missions because they sound dangerous to me. I don't want him to die and not come back. So it's like I worry every time he's gone because I haven't heard from him recently. So it, I, I hope he's doing all right out there on his mission. Me too. Me too. Every time he goes off, uh, you know, I just uh, sit trepidatiously at the edge of my seat, uh, holding my breath. I've been holding it for a while, so hopefully he is okay. Luckily, though, while he's gone in his absence, we did have some fun news to talk about Bruce. And one of them was uh, just a quick congratulations to good friend of the show, Dayton Ward, for winning a Scribe Award this year. And uh, it's the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers announced uh, their Scribe Awards at Comic-Con International there at San Diego. And Best Original Novel, Speculative, the winner was Armageddon's Arrow by Dayton Ward. So just a huge congratulations to Dayton on that. That's fantastic. It is. It's great. Uh, I remember reading that novel. I loved it. It was. It's really good read. So if you haven't read it, obviously... You need to go out and get it and read it because it did want, win an award. And also, there was in that same category, David Mack was nominated for Star Trek Seekers 3, Longshot, which I have yet to read yet. It is sitting here waiting for me to read. So I'm getting ready to get on that one really soon. Man, it, it happens quick, doesn't it, Bruce, where you find yourself having a bunch of Star Trek books to read and you have to start prioritizing, oh, what are we doing this show? It's already happening to you, isn't it? Yeah, because it's really odd. I've always planned when I'm going to read what I want to read, when and all that. And now it's, oh, I'm going to read Seekers 3 next week. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to read Full Circle again because we're going to review it. So I have to move things around and try to fit things in differently. But at least it keeps me continuously reading Star Trek novels. I cannot complain about that. That's true. That's true. It definitely will keep you busy. And uh, well, we're so glad the fact that you're actually here doing it with us. It's, it's been a blast. And we had some other fun news that came from San Diego Comic-Con. And uh, as um, the new Waypoint comic will be starting later this year, they announced that Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore are going to be doing... Uh, a couple of stories for that, and one of theirs is going to be an homage to the Gold Key comics, which uh, I feel vindicated now for having made everybody listen to those shows about the Gold Key comics because it, we've helped people find them again, and now they're going to be getting uh, a brand new comic by these guys, and they'll know the jokes. Certainly, because it's, you know, these comics were written back in the what late 60s early 70s and there's a campiness about these comics and it's a lot of fun. they're a lot of fun to read because they're campy and also looking back at that certain time 
uh, in Star Trek's life and, and the way comics were written then. It's a lot of fun to read. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see even in the very early issues how they interpreted what Star Trek was, even though they didn't get a lot of things quite right. So the fun of that is being brought back in a modern day comic. So you know this is going to be a fun read. And I think I heard they're going to put like jet packs on them and all that kind of sci-fi stuff you think about in those campy sci-fi movies and serials from back in the 60s and earlier. Yeah, I think this is going to be fun. I mean, we're going to have, uh, you know, utility belts again and Spock with oversized ears and things like the Enterprise belching fire from its warp nacelles. Uh, so all of that great stuff that we got in the Gold Key comics is going to be back. And I'm, I'm really excited. I, I love this. You know, I've had so much fun on the show talking through these Gold Key comics. And uh, in fact... Just recently, Comicology had a sale, and I, I got one of the upcoming volumes uh, for like three ninety nine or something. It was a ridiculous sale. So I'm excited to to cover some more on the show coming up this year. And of course, we'll have a brand new one, like you said, coming out from Dayton and Kevin. So that's just fantastic. Well, Bruce, we we don't have any more news, but. Just want to remind everyone some of the places that they can find us and the show online. Of course, you can find the show at Trek.fm. That's our website. We're also a feature provider on iTunes. Trek.fm is. You can find us at iTunes.com slash Trek.fm. Of course, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we love getting voicemails from the fans. Speakpipe.com slash Trek.fm. We're on Twitter at Trek.fm. Of course, we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.fm. The Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook, it's a fabulous place to get an opportunity to talk to fans about the books and the comics and everything else going on on Trek FM. Just type Babel in the search field on Facebook, or if you're on our website at trek.fm, hit discussion on the menu bar. Lastly, because we're a special books group and comics group, you can find us on Goodreads. Uh, just... Uh, Type our name there, Literary Treks, into the Goodreads search. You'll find us. Uh, we've got bookshelves for previously covered books, what's coming up soon. We've got some great discussions going on over there. So I hope you'll join us in all of those places. Bruce, uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but today uh, I am drinking uh, coffee out of my, uh, my official Janeway mug. And um, I, I don't know if you knew what that meant. I think that means that we will probably be talking about Voyager on this episode of Literary Treks. Oh, man. I can't get anything past you. Gosh. Well, I figured it was that <laughs> or we're going to talk coffee for an hour. Well, yeah, that would be kind of a fun thing to do a podcast on. Uh, but that's <laughs> not what we're going to do. We are going to talk about Voyager. And I think everybody in Star Trek who knows the lit was so excited to hear that Kirsten Beyer was going to be on the writing staff for the new show. And as we know, Star Trek Discovery now is what it's called. And so having her lend her literary talent to that series can only, can only make it better. And we were hoping to be able to have her on the show, but you know, she is so busy trying to finish her Voyager novel as well as is work on the new series. There just just isn't time. And so she gave us her blessing to, to be able to to go ahead and continue to talk about some of her works without her right now uh, until hopefully we can have her back maybe sometime next year. But Bruce, we we've never talked about full circle here on the show. That is a tra tragedy right there. Not talking full circle ever before on the show. Yeah, um, I mean, by the time the show started, uh, the first time we had Kirsten on, we talked a little bit about some things. Uh, that was episode number two, but uh, Eternal Tide had come out, so we had we had really missed three books in the series, and so finally we thought, you know, with Kirsten getting the the writer's credit now on Star Trek Discovery, what a great time to go back and look at those books in depth with the way we haven't before, and uh, really cover. Full Circle, Unworthy, and Children of the Storm, and I'm very excited to do that. And, and starting with Full Circle, I remember when this book came out and, you know, Voyager had kind of languished 
in in the books. You know, uh, you had had the Homecoming series and then the Spirit Walk series, and then really nothing. And then Destiny happened. Uh, and before that, we had had Before Dishonor, where Janeway had died. And then I heard they were going to do this new Voyager book called Full Circle. And, I mean, gosh, Kirsten really had to connect the dots here. Because there was so much that had happened to Voyager that hadn't really happened in a proper Voyager book. And she has to find a way to fill the gaps. Yeah, it. that's exactly how... I thought of this book reading it the second time is it is really filling in those gaps. It's tying not what came just in the previous Voyager novels, but as you mentioned from other novels uh, before Dishonor, the destiny trilogy, there was several things going on in the Star Trek universe in this period of time, since Voyager came back to the alpha quadrant and to this period of time that the Star Trek novel line was at which was about at, what, 2381, 2380, in that period of, of time. Yes, and the novel yes. universe has moved even further beyond that, while the Voyager novels are still a little behind because it's building off of this story. So the way I read this novel this time is I realized how much it is tying everything together, bringing it as a whole to set up where we're going to go forward. So this is kind of the let's bring it, all together, let's put it the puzzle pieces into one big puzzle so that we have our landscape to move forward with new Voyager stories. It's, it's kind of the thing that they have done now with Deep Space Nine, with David R. George III kind of filling in that Ascendant storyline because, you know, Deep Space Nine had been caught up to the Destiny timeline and there had been, you know, a, a few years gap there. And so they've been filling in that. You know, Kirsten takes that on in, in one book to take those three years uh, for the Voyager crew and and really bring it all together. And I, I think that's one of the things that uh, even rereading the book I was so shocked by is is just the amount of time that the the book covers. And my goodness, uh, I'm wondering if she must have had to have had some sort of like flow chart or everything to keep everything in order because, you know, we're really talking about a lot of things to keep track of with some momentous things happening. I mean, Janeway dying and Destiny both through, I think you could say it through Voyager for a loop. And the characters for a loop and uh, not really getting the opportunity to fully experience those things from the character's point of view. I know as a Voyager fan of the books, you know, I enjoyed uh, Christy Golden's duologies. I was I was frustrated, you know, in the same way I was frustrated with uh, Deep Space Nine being caught up and all these things happening that I didn't know how it happened. And so uh, I have to say rereading this i'm just struck by how well kirsten is able to bring it all together and and make it feel so cohesive and keep you entertained you know especially when you already know where the story is going to go but she finds a way to really make this about the characters and i think that's really impressive if i had to summarize this book in one word it would be characters this is so strong on characters the focus is so much on characters if you like character novels this is your star trek novel you know i, I it doesn't feel as if there's some big epic there isn't a big real epic battle throughout there isn't there's there's not the main villain there's not that planet they're going to visit and they're having to deal with negotiations between two factions of a warring class and there's not all this type of things going on. This is really the progression of the Voyager crew, these characters and what they are struggling with internally and externally in this new situation that they're in. Cause you know, they've been out in the Delta quadrant for seven years by themselves and now they're back. And I'm jumping ahead towards something that Harry says later uh, towards the end of the novel that he thought 
the whole time that what kept him going in those seven years in the Delta Quadrant was the thought of getting back home and how great it's going to be when he gets back home. But then when he gets home, things aren't perfect and things are different. And so now they have to adjust to that. And in a funny, silly way, when I was reading this novel, it reminds me of the TV movie Return from Gilligan's Island or something to that. I don't know if that's the exact title. But back in the 70s, the the castaways on Gilligan's Island are are brought back to the United States. They're rescued and they had a hard time fitting in and adjusting. And that's similar to what we're seeing in this novel. Things aren't perfect when you get back home, especially when you have all these events going on in the Star Trek universe from these other novels and having to tie these characters into those events with, for example, like with the Borg and what we read in Destiny's, in the Destiny trilogy. Well, and, and I love that here because, I, and I love how you put it, this is a character study. You know, like you said, it's it's not as much about uh, big battles or anything like that. It's really about getting to understand these Voyager characters in a way that we, I think, never have before. And I think that was what was so impressive to me the first time. And it's impressive to me the second time rereading it is how well Kirsten Beyer writes these characters and makes them genuinely interesting. I mean, I never liked Chakotay. I never liked Harry Kim. I wasn't a real fan of a lot of the characters on Voyager. And yet, Kirsten is able to discover, I feel like, the qualities that these characters had innately somewhere in them and draw that out throughout this series. And it starts here by humanizing a character like Chakotay and making him utterly relatable, uh, bringing Janeway almost uh, down to earth, making Harry Kim like a real person, you know, uh, taking somebody like Tom and Bolana and just imbibing them with the same energy they had on the show and continuing to give them a great storyline. All of these things that I'm, I'm seeing throughout this book are just so incredible. And, and again, what's great about this is that it's not about epic story uh, in the sense of like where they're going and what they're doing. It's about getting to the root of who these characters are because all of these other books have thrown them so many loops and we'd never really seen them, like I said earlier, deal with them. And this book is all about how these characters deal with, I mean, geez, just Janeway's death for the first thing. Yeah, there's. I have the paperback. I guess, it, yeah, it was never in hardcover, but I have the original paperback, and it's 561 pages, which is a little longer than most Star Trek novels. And what I read on Memory Beta is that the novel was originally planned to be uh, two books, but then they pushed it into one. So there's two parts of this book. Now, what is interesting to me is just like you're saying, we're really getting deep into these characters. And the series doesn't necessarily, the TV series never really allowed that. You can have an episode that's focused on Janeway dealing with a certain circumstance. And then the next episode, it's a different character. This is dealing through a whole novel over the course of several years of what these characters have to deal with and the struggles they're going through. And then, and in some ways, it's a little depressing. You know, the, things aren't necessarily perfect. They aren't necessarily happy. They've got a lot to struggle with in their own individual ways. And, you know, I see a lot of struggles that I've had in my life that I can relate to certain circumstances. Like, you know, just about all of us have experienced someone that we were close to, family or friends or whoever, that has passed away. And, and how do you deal with that? And how do you move on? I mean, these are big issues that we're dealing with in this book. And I mean, Bolana and Tom's child is kidnapped. I mean, that's that's terrible. Now, the good news is, spoiler alert, they, they get her back. But these are big issues. This isn't something that's usually covered in one 43-minute episode. This is something that stretches across periods of time in a 500-page novel, and it really gets deep, really deep into these characters. Yeah, no, I, I just, I mean, jumping to Bolana and Tom dealing with the things that had come from uh, the the Spirit Walk duology and the Klingon cults that are after Meryl, 
And really going through that, I thought that was really fascinating the way that Kirsten takes that and really uh, makes that something special and something so interesting. And obviously, and honestly, you know, reading this, I'm wondering if this is going to have some kind of connection with the Prey trilogy um, because this really gets into Klingon mythology and Klingon cults, as I said, Klingon religion. And um, I could really see this being a thread that gets picked up on with that Prey trilogy. So, uh, you know, uh, even rereading this now, I was like, man, this could be really good timing because I could see them using this uh, in just the, you know, uh, the next month when uh, John Jackson Miller's new Prey trilogy comes out. I, I really like the way the clans were represented in here because it wasn't just about honor. It's so many times we get uh, stories, whether it's on the series or movies or books, comics, where, you know, Klingon is trying to uphold his honor and he does a certain thing because of honor and so on and so forth. I don't even think honor is even mentioned in this book. Even if it is, it's very small. But it's about these cults, these religions that go back hundreds, thousands or whatever years ago. These ancient beliefs about this almost coming of Jesus type child in, in Balana and Tom's uh, baby. And it was just a very interesting take on the Klingons. And we also got to work in Ambassador Worf, and he had a role in this and helping them in the situation. And we had Kalis also, and Martok was involved. So we had these other characters that we know in the lore of the Klingons uh, involved in the story, but they weren't a big focus. They weren't a big part of it. The main characters of course were Balana and Tom they're the main characters and that's what the author focused on was our main characters well and and what's great about it is uh, you know how it's connecting to you know and and Kirsten does this all the time she's connecting to episodes of of the the series of Voyager and bringing that in and making those stories into something you know Voyager definitely um was was knocked a lot for kind of being a reset button show. And, you know, so the fact that she really takes ideas from the, the series and continues those threads on and makes them, you know, seem like they were actually important. What's so interesting, Bruce, is, is that they're connecting that with the episode prophecy, you know, so clearly from the series. And I, I just, again... I love that about Kirsten is really making the storylines in Voyager legitimate because they're not just a reset button. They're threads that she can pull on and create really interesting stories. And I have to say, I loved the first part of this book because it was really dealing with this, with the Klingon Empire and with Meryl and, of course, Belana and Kaelas and Worf and Mortok. And all of that, and I just, I to me, it was fascinating, and it made for a really interesting story. As as you were saying, it wasn't about Klingons the way we kind of know them. It was Klingons in in almost a really new light to see them as more uh, beings that with their spirituality, and I thought that was really fascinating. And it's timely too, because that episode prophecy was in the middle of the last season, and so these books take place shortly after that season. So the timing of it is just right in the timeline for Voyager for that episode to take place. And then about a year or so later, the events from that episode continue to play out. So in a timeline uh, standpoint, this works out really well. On top of dealing with uh, prophecy and Bellana and Tom's child, we do have the rest of the book uh, the, the main character focus is them dealing with Janeway's death. And this is really where it's Chakotay who's affected the most. I mean, uh, and, and we spend a lot of time with the fallout for him with that in conjunction with everything that happens with Destiny. And this is where I really liked that Chakotay, I feel like, for the first time, becomes a fully rounded character. Absolutely. He is in love with Janeway. They love each other. Which, you know, honestly, 
when this when the Voyager started, I did not want these two to hook up together because I thought, oh, just because you have a woman captain and her first officer is a male, does that mean that they're going to hook up and and fall in love together? I hope they don't play that. And they they kind of played a little bit with that in the series. It kind of hinted at the possibilities, but they didn't fully go there. And then we get to this novel and we find out that you know they are indeed in love. And I was originally like, no, let's not go there. But it works so well for the Chakotay character, especially because his anguish of at her death is so revealing of his character and just rips your heart out for this guy. I mean, he just cannot handle it well. And I mean, that plays throughout the novel of just, you know, how is he going to move forward and how this affects his command of the starship and he just feels like he's he's lost everything. And it just really shows you how much she meant to him. And even though he had to stand off to the side under having a relationship with her while they're in the Delta Quadrant, they found a way to connect with each other. We even see a part, part in the novel where they're having the conversations that they each had uh, separate relationships since they returned to the Alpha Quadrant. And those relationships really weren't working. And then they've always had an interest in each other, was just waiting for the other to say something or do something. And so they're almost looking at each other as a, well, I was kind of hoping you would indicate something, but I hadn't heard anything from you. Well, I, I was waiting for you. And then they found that common bond right before he's going on. Like, I think it was like a nine or nine, uh, nine or 10 month mission. So he's going to be gone for a long time. And so when he gets back, they're going to meet in Venice and continue this relationship. But unfortunately, we, that didn't happen. She was gone. She was taken away from him. She died. And that really affects Chakotay quite a bit and how he even handles his relationships now with others. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's one of the uh, most interesting stories that they do. And again, the fact that Kirsten creates in Chakotay a character that I care about is is really fascinating. Uh, you know the way that he has such a struggle with dealing with her death. It it feels very realistic. You know, if you cared about somebody that much, you loved them that much. Uh, they had been somebody so special to you. I mean, you know, for for Chakotay's standpoint, I mean, it's not just that he loves Janeway, but that Voyager crew was a family, you know, and they were a part of that family, and she was the leader of that family. And I think a, a lot of who he became, he learned from her. And, you know, there, there's so much more to it than just it being about a guy being in love with a woman and losing that. You know, he's lost a friend, a mentor, a confidant, uh, and somebody who he hoped to be uh, you know, his, his partner for the rest of his life, you know, a lover, uh, everything that goes along with that. And so the way in which there's just this raw honesty about all of the characters here, from Chakotay to Tom to Blana, Harry, Seven, the Doctor, uh, Janeway herself, uh, and everyone in between, I think, was was really fantastic. So I... The, the character study that we get from the, the, this book and the Voyager characters, it was so well-deserved, and I think it points out the potential that it was always there for Voyager, and Kirsten Beyer brings out that potential. And um, it's what makes me now look forward to every time a new Voyager book comes out, that book, and it's, it's just fantastic. So... Um, well, Dan couldn't be here tonight, Bruce, but he did have a really interesting point that he had put on our outline, and I thought this was really interesting. He talked about this idea of kind of judging Voyager and um, how Chakotay expresses how he feels about the Voyager crew being unfairly judged, you know, uh, by coming back to the Alpha Quadrant after the Dominion War and, you know, those kind of things and... and uh, people not seeing that they had been a part of that struggle really missing out on that and so they don't kind of understand the cultural zeitgeist now of the alpha quadrant and so they're kind of looked down upon because of that and this idea almost that 
the way in which fans have kind of sometimes looked at Voyager and and maybe this relaunch is a little bit of a shot at redemption for this character these characters. It's an interesting point. Dan actually does have interesting points and this is one of them. That's why he's on a secret mission cuz he's so smart. But uh I I don't recall if I picked up on that myself. Uh I do remember Jacoti making the comment about the crew being unfairly judged. And I don't recall if I thought that was, might be a little hint that the series and these characters were unfairly judged by fans or not. But that certainly could play into this. And and if it does, what a clever way to just take that idea and work out a whole story around it, where all these characters are unfairly judged and then they have to deal with it throughout this novel and their struggles of being back in the Alpha Quadrant. So I really like the play that... Uh, that this story has with the characters because even as I mentioned earlier, Harry Kim said that, you know, getting back to the alpha quadrant, everything would be great again. I had the same thought too. When I watched Voyager, as soon as, you know, when they get back to the alpha quadrant, things are going to be great. I can't wait till they write novels about them being back in the Federation, back in the alpha quadrant, and they'll go on, you know, exploratory missions and so on and so forth, but it's not perfect. And they were not opened, armed, accepted back into the Federation. They had struggles they had to deal with. So they were unfairly judged, just like some Star Trek fans had judgments against this Voyager series. And, you know, sometimes if it doesn't work well for you on screen, sometimes these shows really work well in the books. So I always encourage people to pick up a book. It's funny because when I came you know, I finished the novel and I came to the outline. I saw this point and I thought, man, I, that's exactly what I was thinking is that it was a both and of we really have both things being said. You know, the fourth wall is kind of being broken at that moment. I think, though, what makes it work is that Kirsten makes Voyager work. Uh, I regardless of how you feel about the series, whether you loved it or you didn't like it, I don't know if anybody could read this series of books that she's written and not say that this is great, exceptional Star Trek, and it's fantastic. It's probably the best that Voyager's ever been. Uh, and so uh, that's that's what I love is that I think she does. I think she does redeem Voyager I, I love it. I love that she did that because for me, it, it's made it something that I, I didn't love, but I do now. And, and that's fantastic. So the best Star Trek novels are the ones that change the way you see the series when you watch it again. And this is one of those. I can never watch Star Trek Voyager the same way I did when it first aired. Now that I've read this book, I'm looking at these characters in a different light because I feel like I know them better and I know what the future holds for them. Well, you know, uh, yeah, redeeming Voyager is is uh, an awesome thing, and and the fact that, like you said, you can go back now and uh, look at the series in a different light, I think, is probably the best compliment that you could give to Kirsten and what she's done. You know that that you would see the series in light of her books speaks volumes instead of the other way around. You know, and I think that's wonderful. And one of the coolest things that she does do too. In this, she sets up some new characters that we'll meet in the book, and they become so integral to the storyline, especially through the next three books that we are going to talk about. Uh, and that's uh, Captain Eden, uh, Counselor Cambridge, and Admiral Batiste. And goodness, uh, each one of these characters finds a way to become so integral to the story, I feel like, especially Cambridge and Eden that they're, to me, when I think about it in my mind, they're just characters in Voyager. It's, all, it's like they've almost always been there. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, that it's like they've always been there, but but you're right. Um, they fit in so well with this crew and this story, and again, we learn so much about the characters. I would say out of the three you mentioned, it's uh, Counselor Cambridge that is my favorite, because when you think of counselors, they're very caring, they're very approachable, but Cambridge is not like that. I mean, he may be caring, but <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not going to pick up that he's a caring person when you first meet him. He's very arrogant. He's very, he seems like he's just more into himself. You don't even know why he's there. It's like, why is this guy even a counselor? But 
you start to learn after a while that he is really so good at what he does that you don't even see it coming. And that's just a really interesting take on a counselor on a starship, that he can be such an ass, but be so good at what he does and helping you work out your issues. It's almost like tough love in a sense. Well, he's just no BS, you know? I, I mean, he's he's very caring, but like you said, it's a tough love type of caring, you know? Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that I love his character so much. You know, he really does care about the emotional health of the people that are under his care. But at the same time, he's not going to just tiptoe around issues. He's going to make characters face those issues. And the way in which he does that best is by kind of being in your face about it and giving it to you straight. You know, he's not going to use a lot of flowery language and try to make you feel better about yourself. No, if you've got an issue, he wants you to deal with it. He wants you to come face to face with it so you can actually move forward. And I got to say, you know, it's the kind of counselor that I would love to go to. So Cambridge is, yes, he is an incredible character because, yes, he kind of comes off, as you said, an ass at the beginning. But by the end of the book, you love this guy. You just love this guy. Yeah. And then our other characters, we have Captain Eden. And and he, and, and she used to be married to Batiste, who's the admiral. And uh, the, Batiste is over the Full Circle Project. And he's recruited Captain Eden, his ex-wife, to take command of Voyager. So, and, that, and because, again, Chakotay is pretty questionable at this point because of the effects of Janeway, her death on him and his command decisions. And even though Cambridge gives him the pass that he can, Chakotay could continue to uh, captain and command the uh, Voyager, they instead bring Eden on board. And so... I don't think there's a whole lot between these two characters uh, in this book. I mean, there's some, I guess what I'm trying to get at is knowing when you get into future books, it becomes more relevant. They become more interesting. I think so much of the focus is on the main characters that that's, that's where I was going towards when I'm reading this book. And I, I didn't really want to learn about any other new characters that much, but they certainly are very interesting characters and become more so in later books. I think for me, out of the two uh, you know, Eden is the more interesting yes. for the most part. I, I think that she has a way, even getting the chance to reread this now, uh, she does find a way to endear herself, I think, to the reader. And I think part of that has to do with the way that she feels about the Voyager crew and the way that she treats them. Uh, you know, she does treat them with this respect that, that you know, Chicote talks about you know, that they feel like they has been missing for Voyager, and I really like that. Uh, it's her that I think I'm most interested in because one of the things that this book does is it does so much of filling in the gaps, but it also creates amazing plot threads that Kirsten will pick up on in Unworthy and Children of the Storm and throughout the rest of the books that she's working on. And one of them is Eden. We kind of learn at the end of the book that uh, Eden has a secret that really nobody knows about and she may or may not really be who we think she is and I think that's kind of fascinating that she is this she's a mystery box character hopefully by Voyager going back to the Delta Quadrant with this fleet this full circle fleet we will learn more about who she is. And in fact, that's actually her motivation for really wanting to kind of go back is that there's something that Voyager found while they were there in the Delta Quadrant that she recognizes instinctively and she doesn't know why. And it just creates this incredible plot thread that I can't wait to get to Unworthy and Children of the Storm to see kind of continue to play out. And of course... It won't fully play out until Eternal Tide. But, man, just that's one of the things that is just great about this book is that it satisfies you, it satiates you to a point, and yet I I just can't even wait now to get to the rest of the books. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Even though Eden didn't do a lot for me 
throughout the book, it wasn't towards the end that I really got interested to see what happens next with her. So it's because of her character that I'd want to move on to the next book because we find out that she is uh, displaced. She was not born on Earth. She was maybe not even from the Alpha Quadrant, as we're finding out, but she never knew where she came from. And then this artifact that is brought back from Voyager being out in the Delta Quadrant is something that people don't know exactly what it is, but for some reason when she looks at it, she recognizes it. There's something familiar about it, and she realizes that it's actually a map. And so it's her map to find where she came from, that her home is somewhere in the Delta Quadrant, and she wants to find where she came from. And that's when it really was like, ooh, now I'm really getting interested in this character. I want to find out where she's from and how she got to Earth and what all happened in there. So I want to go on that journey with her, which, as we end the book, we don't go on the journey yet, but we know we're getting ready to when it goes to the next novel. So that's a great way to bridge over to a new novel. I mean, that is one of the biggest things about this this storyline not just Eden, but the fact that Voyager and this full circle fleet are going back to the Delta Quadrant. So what did you think about that, Bruce, as a plot thread to to bring the crew back to the place that they spent so much time trying to get back from? <laughs> well, that's a very good question, because when the relaunch novels were happening for Voyager, I was hoping that would happen. I wanted them to go back to the Delta Quadrant, but I didn't want them to get stranded in the Delta Quadrant. When the series of Voyager premiered, the one thing I did not like about it, the premise of it, was that they're lost in space, quote unquote. That they are in an area of space that they don't want to be in. Their primary goal is to get home. And oh, on the way back home, we'll do some exploring. The thing I like about Star Trek is I want to be on that ship or I want to be on that space station. I want to feel that my characters also want to be there too. So when you set up a premise for a series that thrusts our crew and its starship into an area of space that they do not want to be in, that their goal is to get home, then why do I want to be there with them? I'm not going to envision myself ever wanting to be on Voyager because I wouldn't want to be stranded away from home, never knowing if I'll ever get back to see my family and friends. So that was an issue I had originally in the premise of Voyager. And I used to think, you know, why didn't they set up this series where it was some kind of technology that sent them to the Delta Quadrant? And even if they're cut off from the Federation, they know they can return home at a certain point. And that's what this novel is setting up. They're going to go to the Delta Quadrant through slipstream technology, and they're going to be there for three years and know that after that three year or so period, they can come back. And that's what I love. I want to explore the Delta Quadrant, not because we accidentally fell there, but because we wanted to get there. So I was glad to hear this premise was set up. Now, in the novel, the crew doesn't necessarily want to go back because they just got back home. So why go back there again? It's something that Janeway didn't want. It's something that Chakotay and the rest of the crew really doesn't want. But I think they're, they've come to a point now that they know that they can return home, that there is interest to get there and to find out if the Borg really still exists. Wow, Bruce, uh, you completely just opened my mind to another reason why Voyager may not have worked for me as much. And I'd never thought about it in those terms, the idea that the crew doesn't even want to be there. So why do I really want to be there? And I think that's, man, what a great way to put it. And now that they're going back to the Delta Quadrant and they do want to be there, I think that's fantastic, you know, and that they, they've given them this new way to be able to get home if something happens with the slipstream technology. And in fact, even if something happened, you know, another ship with slipstream could go and rescue them. So it's not as if they're stuck there. And I, I love that. And I think it makes it so interesting. And I think it's the thing that was great about this idea with Voyager and continuing the series is that you would return Voyager to a place that made it special because the series was about it taking place in a different part of space. So it wasn't just where the next generation crew was. And I, I think that's the thing that sets these book series apart. You know, uh, Titan was always about it exploring unknown regions, you know, way beyond the bounds of the Federation. 
Voyager is about it being in the Delta Quadrant. And I think maybe you've hit on the head one of the problems that I've had about the Deep Space Nine story is that it hasn't felt like the series. Uh, It's not special anymore. You know, I've lost uh, all the things that have made it special, like Cisco being the emissary, uh, the station being on the edge of the Federation, basically, uh, the the Gamma Quadrant that we can explore uh, with that, and, and all the things that made that Deep Space Nine, and really the exploration of all of the things that Star Trek really hadn't explored all that much, which was challenging the ideals of the Federation against all of these people who didn't necessarily agree with that, and then religion, and all of these other things. So, yeah, by sending Voyager back to the the Delta Quadrant like they are, it continues to set Voyager and the series of books apart, and I really like that. You know, other plot threads that they have going, Chakotay, at the very end of the book, decides to quit Starfleet. Uh, You know, Seven is still hearing voices, and Tom and Belana may finally be reunited. Uh, oh no, won't that feel so good? Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, the, the, what's so great about this book is it keeps you so interested in wanting to come back. Like it leaves you on the edge of your seat for the next one, and, I, and that's just fantastic. Yeah, those things that you just described for these characters of Jakoti. Uh, quitting Starfleet and seven hearing voices. I mean, these are these events are revealed to us in the last couple of chapters. So, you know, it definitely leaves a lot of loose ends open for these characters that it's going to want you to go to the next novel and maybe even the one after that or whatever. I mean, th- this is why I was getting back earlier. This is really kind of the setup. They're back in the Alpha Quadrant. Let's put all the pieces together that ties all these different events in the Star Trek universe together. And now let's set up the landscape of where we can take a new series of novels, a new storyline for these characters and set it up in this book. And so the return to the Delta Quadrant and Chakotay dealing with uh, Janeway's death and quitting Starfleet and Tom and Balana rejoining so on and so forth in Eden in her map and whatever, all these things is just a great setup. We've learned so much about these characters. We've gotten in their heads and now we've set up story that we can investigate and look into coming up later. Well, Bruce, uh, talking through the book, so if, if you had a rating for Full Circle, uh, where do you land? Well, I think it's obvious that I like this book. And if you didn't pick up on no. that... No, <laughs> no, back, Rewind and listen to it all over again. Because, yes, I love this book. I I don't know if I can... I almost feel like I liked it better the second time. I mean, it's been a while. I think it was 2009 when the book originally came out. And I do re- recall enjoying the book, but I didn't realize how much I enjoyed it until I read this. And it just showed me how important characters are. So, gosh, I mean, the rating, it's not even a question of what rating we're going to give it. It's just, I'm just trying to think if I have any other final thoughts that I haven't mentioned on here. Um, But I guess I don't. And I'll just say that I'm giving it five out of five Janeway coffee mugs. I'm right there with you. Um, There uh, is not a rating that's high enough for me for this book and what uh, Kirsten Beyer is able to do with it. Uh, it is genuinely on my favorites list for Star Trek books. It is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek books, and one of the best all-time Star Trek books, you know, on all of those lists. And so for me, yes, this is a clear five out of five slipstream drives. I mean, this is just a fantastic book. I'm so glad to be revisiting uh, these uh, first books by Kirsten Beyer in the Voyager series. I didn't, I couldn't think of final words, but I do have one final word that I just thought of. You know when you're reading a good book, when time flies by and you didn't realize how much time passed. Like I would look at the clock and go, oh wow, has it really been an hour and a half I've been sitting here reading? I thought it was only maybe 40 minutes. That's a sign of a good book. Yes, it is.
Well, I really enjoyed discussing that book because I'm so thrilled about going back to the Delta Quadrant again and learning so much more about these characters, and we're off to a fantastic start. So it was a really fun discussion. I'm glad we got a chance to reread the book again. I'm picturing that Aerosmith releases a new song, and it's, Back in the Delta Quadrant again! Can't can't you hear it? Uh, Yeah, but I have a feeling it sounds better than that. Oh, it probably does. Uh, you but know, that was pretty so, good. Uh, eh, well, you know, Steven Tyler's not the easiest person to mimic, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody's going to do it, you're going to do it. And maybe we'll have you do a new theme song for the show. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. Um, Literary tracks, yeah. Uh, maybe we should get voice lessons before I do that. So, <laughs> But I'm glad we get to do this, uh, not singing on the show, but actually just talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And I really want to thank our associate producers that we have. Uh, of course, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea Matola, and Bruce Gibson, yourself. Uh, thank you guys so much for supporting the show uh, through Patreon. And Trek FM is a listener-supported network, and, and we really do need your help to make sure that we keep all of the content coming to you guys each and every week. We can't do it without you. Uh, there's just no way that we can bring all of the shows, 20 different shows, special feeds we have going on on Trek FM without the support of the listeners. So go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can be part of the team. We have some great perks for you guys if you join the team at different levels. Really, any little bit helps from $1 to however many dollars a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and you can see how you can sign up and help keep all the shows coming to you. Now, Bruce, uh, when you're not trying to find ways to stow away on uh, one of these full circle ships so you can enjoy the Delta Quadrant, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you know what? You can love Star Trek and Star Wars at the same time. So therefore, you will also find me on the Star Wars Report podcast. So if you want to do Star Wars, find me there. If you want to do Star Trek, find me here. I'm all over the place. So... Matthew, let me ask you, when you're not on eBay spending seven years trying to find a coffee mug like Janeway's, where can we find you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Bruce. I was still on eBay looking for another one. Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm also on Instagram at MRushing, posting some pictures of those coffee mugs that I find finally on eBay. Uh, You can find me on The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on the 602 Club talking all things geeky that don't have anything to do with Star Trek because there's so many fandoms out there that we want to talk about. In fact, Bruce, you're you're there a lot. If you want to hear Bruce and I uh, talk some more Star Trek, we actually just did the recent Ready Room about Star Trek Beyond. That was number 207, so make sure that you check that out. We're joined by my good friend John Mills, who I do a show with about Star Wars called Aggressive Negotiations, and you can find that on the Nerd Party at thenerdparty.com, or of course you can find that on iTunes. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.